to uh, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Uh, I'd appreciate that. You can open your Bible to Acts chapter 1. This is the fourth and final sermon in a, in a short series following up from Easter. And we talked about the, the, the life we find in the resurrection and what that life should look like for you and I. Um, what we see in this Easter uh, follow-up, we looked at the first sermon, was this despair and confusion that was happening. We saw the women who went to the tomb were there confused. They brought anointing oils looking for a dead person. When Jesus was really alive, they should be looking for the living. Um, and why, and they, then they were rebuked, right? They, the angels rebuked them and said, why? Why are you doing that? Why are you confused? Why are you in this uh, despair? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? And we, we talked about in that sermon the affections of our heart and where, where our hearts tend to turn instead of turning to Christ, the living, living risen Savior. Uh, then we went in last week, we talked about instruction and how important it was to see that, that the angels instructed the, the women there at the tomb, and Jesus instructed the disciples on the road to Emmaus and while they sat and, and uh, ate in, in, at Emmaus. And then they came to, the, to Jerusalem, and he instructed the disciples in the room there as well as he appeared to them, and he used God's word and says, listen, all of this is what you should have already known. It's, it's clearly laid out in the Word, and, and it should lead you to embrace that and, and hold on to that, and that you and I ought to remember that often. And last week, in fact, we uh, partook in the Lord's Supper together, uh, you and your homes, and, and uh, I was here, and, and we, we looked at the body and, and blood because we wanted to remember the depth of what Jesus has done for us and knowing and celebrating that He has conquered sin and conquered death for us, and that in that we, we do have life, but we go to His instruction and we remember it often. And then today, we're finally looking at this changed life. And the, the sermon title today is The Spirit of Change. Interestingly enough, today is, uh, is Pentecost Sunday. It's the, it's the day we celebrate Pentecost, the, the birth of the church. And we're going to actually study that today. We're going to look at um, Acts 2 after we go to Acts 1. But we're going we're gonna to look at Pentecost. And, and what Pentecost was, was not only did, were they confused and in despair, they, they were then rebuked and they went to the instruction and saw. And then Jesus said, go and wait for me. I'm sending a helper. Then they waited. They, they were obedient to wait. And when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers there, they absolutely went out uh, and with the power of the Holy Spirit changed the world. And, and you and I have that same power today, that we have that same power residing in us, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is available to us today to go out uh, and be his witnesses to, to all of the world that they would know Christ more fully. So we're going to go ahead and pray, and I'm going, to, I'm going to read a couple scriptures before we get into Acts chapter 1, but let's go ahead and pray together and uh, we'll get into it. Father, we're so thankful to you for your love and your grace. God, we ask that you would be with us today. God, that you would fill us up with your spirit, that God, we would yield our hearts to your spirit, that we would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to whatever you want to do in us and through us. God, we don't want to just do church like we've always done it anymore. We don't want to just be a believer. We want to, we want to be your disciple who's empowered by your spirit to share the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. God, help us today as we look to your word. Convict us of sin and move us into a place of repentance and humility to embrace what you would have us do, that we would obey you and be led by the Spirit. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I want to catch us up. Uh, you're turning in Acts chapter 1. Thank you. I'm going, to, I'm going to read a couple of passages out of Luke just to catch us up with the story uh, from, from Easter. And, and we, so we saw the women at the, at the tomb, and, and then there's an encounter and a rebuke, and then what did they do, right? And, and then on the road to Emmaus, and then they, they learned it was Jesus while they were breaking bread with him. What did they do? And then uh, we'll look at those stories. In Luke 24, we pick it up in verse 9, uh, returning from the tomb, this is the women, they reported all these things to the eleven. So they're not keeping it to themselves, right? When they finally embrace Christ fully and embrace the mission that Christ has, they go out and tell everyone 
I've seen him. I've seen him, and I, and I know there's power in Christ. And then Luke 24, looking at verses 33 and 35, this is uh, the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They have gone, and they've known, seen Jesus, then he disappeared. It's late, and they decide to get up and go. It's late. That very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them and gathered together, who said, the Lord has truly been raised and appeared to Simon. So they, they share first, hey, we know this, he's appeared. And they're like, yeah, we, we know too. And they say, then they began to describe what happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Such a powerful, powerful display of what, what Christ is up to. That Christ wants to be, be made known to everyone. That he wants to be, be, be made known, not as a historical leader, as a, as a a king of a nation or someone that's going to overthrow the government. He wants to be known as Christ the Messiah who will overthrow our hearts, forgive us of our sins, and be the Lord of our lives. That's what he wants. So today we're celebrating, like I said, the Pentecost Sunday, and we're, we're looking for, and looking, we should be looking forward to, uh, God, what, what are you going to do in us in, uh, individually and as a church, maybe as a family how are you going to empower us by your Spirit to live faithfully and obediently to you? What is that going to look like? So today we're going to be looking at the spirit of change. The spirit of change. So number one is this. What's in the spirit of change? Well, we ought to be joyfully expectant for the Holy Spirit. We ought to be joyfully expectant for the Holy Spirit. Now, now, going on that Luke passage a little more, Luke 24, we see uh, Jesus in with the disciples uh, in, in this room in Jerusalem. And he says, you are witnesses of these things. You're witnesses. You've seen this. And look, I'm sending you. Here's the promise. I'm sending you what my Father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. And then in verse 52 and, uh, and 3, it says this. After worshiping him... They returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple praising God. There was a response from the disciples to what Jesus had promised. He said, listen, I'm going to go. I'm going to ascend. We'll see that in a minute in Acts 1, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is on its way, and we see that not only in Luke. We see it in John 15, 14, 16. Uh, he's promising this helper, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, who's going to come and empower believers to live differently and to, and, and to, and to not ca be cowards anymore, but to live differently. So they were joyfully expectant. They heard Jesus say, I'm sending what my Father promised, and you're going to emp be empowered from on high. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. Uh, well, they're, they're gearing up, though, aren't they? They're gearing up for what God is going to do. And, and we should be geared up and ready and waiting, expectantly waiting, with joy for what God might do through us. You know, I think you and I have more fear than joy oftentimes. We, we think God wants to do something with me and, and, and we come to faith in Christ. We, we repent of our sin and we turn to him and trust him in faith. And we're like, thank you, God, that you did something to me by the power of your spirit. Now I'll just hold on to you through my life and, and let's not get too busy with some stuff. Let's not get too dangerous here. I just want to kind of be mellowed out here and be, be secure. And we, we get afraid. We get afraid of what people will think of us if we speak about Jesus. We get afraid if we, if we bring or post a verse somewhere or hold on to something or speak a truth from God's word because the whole world says it's not true and they want to believe something different. We get scared of what our coworker or a family member or a friend might say if we sit down and actually share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with them. Listen, the gospel message of Jesus Christ is the only and the best news anyone could ever have in their lives. We must share that with people. If we don't share that with people, it's unloving. 
And, and we aren't really expectant with joy at what the Holy Spirit is about to do. I don't know about you, but I want to be on board with what God's Spirit is doing. I want to be on board with what God's Spirit's doing in my home. I want to be on board with what God's Spirit's doing in my church, in my church family. I want to be on board with what God's doing and God's Spirit is doing in our community and in our state and in our nation and in our world. And that's why the priority of this church has always been to reach the uttermost parts of the world with the message of Jesus Christ. Not only do we do, we do that Sunday mornings, now we have a live stream going out preaching the gospel. We have midweek teachings. We have, we have us gathering together and being sent out, commissioned by our leaders, by our teachers, by the Word of God and by the Spirit to walk out the doors as a missionary wherever you go. You know, months ago or years, I guess, ago, in, in one of the sermon series we did, I, I talked about the fact that God doesn't get the address wrong. Why are, why are we so stubborn in wanting to share our faith with an with a employee or a coworker, with a friend or a neighbor? Don't you think that God has made that divine arrangement? Don't you think that he has gone before you? We think that we, we have to manipulate people and, and, and twist their arm. God is already at work in the world, as we'll see in a few minutes, and, and God is doing something there, and we just get to participate alongside of him cheerfully and gratefully, being ambassadors for Christ, is what Paul says in Corinthians, uh, urging people to be reconciled to God. That's what our job is. That's what we ought to be doing. But they were expectant. They were joyfully expectant uh, for the Holy Spirit. They're like, whatever he wants to do, let's go. And I would think that after these guys who had, who had renounced Christ and who had denied him and ran away and hid and wanted to <clears throat> avoid anyone asking them questions about Jesus, they are now ready. Like, like give me some courage. I, I need something different because what I was uh, entrusted or trusting in is not working. And they, so they were expectant. And it's not only expectant on, on a Sunday morning for, for a sermon or, or a Sunday school class or a Bible study. We ought to be expectant every day. I remember my grandma speaking about this. She, she would get up and she, she was 92 years old and she would say, she still got up in the morning and say, Lord, today's your day. Whatever you want. Whatever you want to happen, let, let it be. And I'm sure I'm paraphrasing that, but that's her, that was her attitude. She got up expectant, joyfully expectant about what God might do that day in her and through her. She was ready for that. So let's, let's look at Acts chapter 1. You've turned there in your Bibles. Let's look at Acts chapter 1. I want to kind of, in a row, we're kind of chronologically going down this line of, of um, seeing them be expectant, right? So Acts chapter 1, we're verses 4 through 8. <clears throat> this is after Jesus had risen and before he ascended. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But, so here's, Here's what he wants us to know. Here's what he wants us to, to glean from this. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. You're going to be empowered from on high. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That, that's what he's going to give us. The power to share the gospel, the good news message about him, to everyone everywhere. It's to everyone everywhere. So they're waiting, right? They're waiting for this, this 
power from on high to come. And then we see it in Acts chapter 2. Go ahead and turn there with me, Acts chapter 2. Uh, we're going to look at the, a majority of this text. We're not going to read it all. But uh, Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, we'll read through uh, verse 15 here together. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Again, following, following instructions, go and wait, right? Suddenly, a sound like that of violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one had heard them speaking in his own language. I'll stop there. They would have, we would have thought they would have been confused because they aren't speaking my language. I can't understand them. But they were confused for a different reason. Right? They were all speaking his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, uh, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea, in Cappadocia, in Pontus, in Asia, uh, Phygia, uh, and in, in Pamphylia, Egypt, in the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, uh, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But some sneered and said, They're drunk on new wine. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, Fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let it be known to you and pay attention to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose since it's only nine in the morning. Now he goes on to share a prophecy from Joel, speaking about this power that's going to come from God and what this power is going to accomplish. But look at what they, they were expecting for God to do something, right? They were waiting joyfully. And then God comes and empowers them with the Holy Spirit to preach the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what do they do? They do it in everyone's language. I've heard stories of this today like in missionaries around the world who, who have an interpreter with them and they're sharing the gospel to a, a language group they don't know, but the interpreter is there and they're preaching their heart out and they're preaching their heart out and the interpreter stops all of a sudden. They stop speaking. And so the preacher stops and says, why aren't you speaking? And the interpreter says, because you're speaking in their language. They can all hear you. They can all understand you. You see, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, wants the message of the gospel to go forward and that's what he's going to do. You and I should be expectantly and joyfully waiting for that, wanting that, wanting Him to empower us to, to share the message of Christ however He would deem it fit for us to do. But He's not getting the address wrong. He, God uses the power of the Holy Spirit to take the weak, to take the cowardice, to take even the resistant and make them able to obey and be strong and be more willing, not under their own strength, but under the strength and power that He supplies through His Holy Spirit. So the question is, are, are we joyfully expectant? God wants His message to go everywhere, to everyone everywhere. Are you relying on the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you seeking that? Are you living to walk in step and living by the Holy Spirit in a way that you can, you can go with His power 
And when, when someone asks that question, you, you don't understand why you have the words to share, but you share what you know. You see, listen, even this, this passage as it goes on, this is Peter preaching, but it's not an elegant, persuasive speech. And we talked about that last week as well when Paul came. He's like, I'm not trying to give you these eloquent speech. I don't want to do it on human terms. I want you to know the power is from on high. You and I need to, need to, rest, our, our, um, we need to rest our hope and our, our abilities in the Holy Spirit more than ourselves. We need to say, I'm, I'm not going to count on myself to do this because we can't. Isn't that, the, isn't that the beauty of the message of the gospel? You and I can't do it. When it comes to being forgiven of our sin or, or earning our salvation, you and I can't do it. When it comes to cleansing ourselves, you and I can't do it. But Jesus can. When it comes to reaching the uttermost parts of the world, to, to penetrating hearts and, and, and dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, to judge the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, you and I can't do that. You and I can't even persuade people to believe. But the Holy Spirit can. And you and I ought to be resting in the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. So the first thing is we've got to be joyfully expectant, waiting for the Holy Spirit. Number two, the spirit of change. We ought to be listening to the Spirit's testimony about Christ. All the while, you know, sometimes we, we tend to resist. We, well, we resist a lot. We resist Christ and, and we resist this testimony. And we've heard the good news. It's great. But we need to be, have the gospel preached to us over and over again daily so we understand the depth, the depth from which we have been rescued and saved, the depth from which we have been forgiven. And, and then God gives us these marching orders and instructions saying, I've pulled you out. I, I'm, you're, you're my instrument. I'm going to use you as an instrument for noble purposes. And God says, here's my spirit, go. Go into all the world and share. And we say, I don't know, I don't know if I can do that. But it's all about listening to the spirit's testimony about Christ. And not listening to your own argument in your own head. Saying, how can I get out of this? How can I get around this? How can I do something different? How can I convince the spirit that that's not really what I should be doing? Or how can I convince myself that I'm not really ready? All the while, God's saying, I want you to be obedient. I want you to listen in your heart to the testimony from the Spirit about Jesus Christ and go and share that with the world. I'm going to give a few passages out of John. If you want to turn to John chapter 14, then we're going to go to John chapter 15 together, then back to Acts chapter 2. John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. He says, and this is again, listening to the Spirit's testimony about Christ. I will ask the Father, and, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Right? Jesus is going to ascend. He is the Spirit of truth. Right? The Holy Spirit, the counselor, is the Spirit of truth, testifying to the truth always. The world is unable to receive Him because it doesn't see Him or know Him. But you do know Him because He remains with you and will be, be in you. Jump down to 26. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. What a beautiful picture here of what the Holy Spirit is doing. Not only does a heart that is unrepentant and, and need, to, need to find Christ and move towards faith in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, but for you and I, who have come to faith in Christ, we need God's Spirit, the Spirit of truth, to teach us all things and remind us consistently, constantly, continually of everything that we have been instructed through Scripture. That's what God's Spirit is going to do. He's going to remind us of the truth and bring that up over and over. And I don't know if you've noticed this in your own life. If you have immersed yourself in the Word of God and you've studied it a lot and you've, you, you know Scripture, 
There are times where maybe, maybe even you're far from the Word at some point, but you're in a, in a position in your life or a, a stressor in your life, and all of a sudden, what, what comes up? The Spirit of truth instructs you. He reminds you of the things you have been taught. And you know, you know better, and you know where you need to go to be filled up and who you need to listen to. That's what the Spirit of God is going to do for us and does for us. He reminds us of everything that God has told us through the Word of God. Then jump over to John 15. John 15. Looking at John 15, verses 26 and 27. Jesus says, When the Counselor comes, again, speaking of the Holy Spirit, the one I send, you, or send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds, or proceeds from the Father, He will testify about me. Isn't that a beautiful thing? The Spirit of God is testifying about the Messiah, about our need for a Savior. And look at what he does next. This is, this is kind of the turning point for, for you and I as disciples. Not only are we going to be instructed and built up and be reminded about everything that's been, been instructed, but we're going to that next step in verse 27. He says, you also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. Now see, he's, he's speaking to his disciples and his apostles, and something amazing is going to happen here. The power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon the apostles. And, and think about this. When Jesus was there, they had a great time. They learned. He did amazing things. Ultimately, he did the best thing, right? He died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead, defeating death forever. So you and I, by faith, could also be with him forever. But when he left, he said, it's better that I go. Well, people would have disagreed, right? Well, I don't think so, Jesus. I think you should stick around. I think it's awesome having Jesus right here. He says, no, no, it's better that I go because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And we'll see that in the next point of what the Spirit's job is. But part of this right here, he says, you disciples right here who, who are going to have the Holy Spirit, what is the Holy Spirit going to do through them? Think about what the Holy Spirit did through the apostles. Before Jesus came, there was no New Testament. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, because it was given by the Holy Spirit to men and written for us, we see that in Scripture, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the church age was ushered in, and we have had all the doctrine of the apostles, as they called it originally, and now we call it, it's the New Testament. And it's the testament of Jesus Christ. And remember, when we said, we, uh, in our series for uh, the, the Gospels, right? these things are written so that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we would have life in his name. It's an amazing thing. Jesus had to go so the Spirit could come and inspire these writers to write about Jesus so that by writing and through what is written that we would believe and others would believe, that your neighbor would believe, that your family member would believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And by believing that they would have life in his name. He said, the Holy Spirit's going to come and empower you. And, and not only that, you are going to be my witnesses. You've been with me for, since the beginning. What an amazing thing. The Spirit is going to testify about Christ. Now let's go back to the book of Acts, chapter 2. <clears throat> We're going to look at verse 22. We'll start there. We are skipping around in this. Feel free to read this in your discussion groups or as a family later or individually. Read the whole passage and, and cross-reference it. But we are looking at verses 22 to 24 and then jump down to 32. So Peter's going on here in his sermon. Peter, Peter gets up and says, here's what, the, here's what the Spirit is testifying. So if the Spirit testifies about Christ, what's that testimony going to say? Here's what it says. Fellow Israelites, in verse 22, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. 
Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. And he goes on to some prophecy from from David. But listen, this is so important for us to see. The, The testimony of the Spirit about Jesus is that, that he was the one that came by God's power and was crucified and was raised back to life. And and he goes on. Look at verse 32. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. So Peter's testifying. Listen, what's coming from us now, what you are hearing is the message of Christ directly from the Spirit of God. The Spirit testifies about Jesus. And look at verse 36. Therefore, here's the message, right? What does the Spirit testify? And therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Wow. He's cutting right to the core, isn't he? And we're going to see that in just a moment, how he cuts right to the core. But the Spirit testifies about Christ. He testifies that Christ is the Messiah. And and I think it goes on a little further, that last verse of 36. I love this part, and I also hate this part. Therefore, let all the house of Israel, let, let you and I know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, now, Put yourself in those shoes that you're the audience there at Pentecost and the disciples. There's this crazy thing that happens and now they're all speaking in our languages. We can all hear and they're testifying about the message of Christ and they, they remind us as an audience that, oh yeah, by the way, it was you that crucified Jesus. Now, they were actually saying that some of you were involved in that. But for you and I and even some that were there that day, my sin is what put Christ on that cross. When the Spirit testifies about Jesus, what He says is that you needed a Savior. That because of your sin, you were separated from God and you were in desperate need of the Savior. And God delivered Him to you in the form of Christ. And the Spirit now testifies that He is not only the Messiah, but He is Lord. He is the Messiah, the one, the anointed one that God provided to redeem His people, but He is also Lord. He is God in the flesh. The Spirit testifies to Christ. Number three, the final one we see here in this passage, and I'm sure there's lots more, but for today, the Spirit of change, we ought to respond in humility to the Holy Spirit. We respond in humility to the Holy Spirit. Jump down there to verse 37 in Acts chapter 2. Let's see the response. It says, when they heard this, right? He had just got done saying, uh, this, God, or this Jesus whom God uh, gave us, whom you crucified, is both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And Peter and the rest of the apostles said to them, brothers, what should we do? What should we do? Now listen, this is a, a great place for the heart to be. When you've heard the Spirit testify about your own sin and about Christ as the Messiah being the punishment and the replacement for our sin, the propitiation, He stood in our place, that He paid for us. When we hear that, our heart should crumble and humble and 
come to the place and say, what should we do? What's next? More often than not, though, uh, many say, ah, well, that's good for you, but that's okay, I'll, I'll figure it out. I can, I can figure that out. I can see how to put God and that portion of God as part of my life, as part of maybe a book in on the bookshelf, but, but I'll get it figured out. There's no real true humility in that. Christ calls us to humble ourselves, to come empty with absolutely nothing so that we can have the everything that Jesus is offering here. Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. So we want to respond in humility to the Spirit. There's an initial response that should come in our heart of this deep humility that puts ourselves in a place and says, okay, God, what should we do? What, what should I do differently? How should I change? And then there's initial response. Once I get to that place of, of belief, I want to believe in Christ. I want to trust Him in faith. I've come empty and I've repented of my sin. I'm not holding on to my own life. I'm coming to Him and trusting Him in faith. That, that initial response is to repent Peter says, and to be baptized. And that repent is to repent and believe. We can't really believe, we can't really trust Christ in faith until we repent of our sin. Because if we don't repent of our sin, if we don't throw ourselves off, we're really coming to Him, trusting in ourselves and Him. And Jesus says, no, no, I, I need you to trust in me. That's why you need to repent of your sin, repent of yourself, get over yourself, come to me in faith, and I'll supply all that you need. I will be your everything. So repent. And then that initial response not only is to repent and believe, it says those who accepted that message, those who believed, then were baptized. That's an initial response people should have to coming to faith in Christ. Once you come to faith in Christ, you say, I'm going to show that. I'm going to show the world that, that He is my God, that He is my Savior, and I'm going to show that through obedience and baptism. Now, we baptize in our church and haven't done that for a while because of the COVID-19 going around. But, but certainly, if you, you are someone who has put your faith in Christ, God has called you to follow the example of Christ and to be baptized. And, and see, there's a, a private decision, a personal decision that happens when our heart is humbled and turns to Christ in faith. That's a private, personal decision. That's between you and God. But then he says, I want you to make it public. I want you to show the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to show the power of Christ. I want you to stand up for me and not be ashamed of me. So then we follow him in obedience and, and be baptized. We, we go into the water showing that we have died to ourselves and we rise out of the water in newness of life, rising because Christ rose. And we show the symbol of, of being washed clean. We've already been washed clean through faith in Christ and made righteous through faith in Christ. But now we want to show that. And it's all about Jesus. It's not about you and how good you are and how, how good you are at following the rules. It's all about how, G, how Jesus followed the rules. It's all about how Jesus did what he needed to do for you and for me. That we would see the example of Christ, and we would show the example of Christ through baptism. So those are our initial responses. We, we start with that humble heart, that humility, and then we initially respond through faith in Christ and then baptism. But there's, there's more to it. There's this life response that we need to understand as well. Too many Christians draw a line right here and stop right there. Oh, I got saved. I was baptized. I'm good. I've got a Bible somewhere. When I got baptized, my name's written in the middle or in the front. And we stop. We draw a line there. 
But what happened here? What happened in the story? The story wasn't over. Many came to faith in Christ. And then what? Did they disperse? And when they were done? No, look at verse 42. Then they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held things, all things in common. They sold their possessions and, and, and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had a need. They're devoting themselves. This is now a life change. And by the power of the Spirit and by the sufficiency of Christ in them, they are living this way. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together. Every day. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is a movement. This is what we see in the power of God by the power of His Holy Spirit given to the believers. We see that God is up to something, that God is going to do something. But it doesn't just let us stop at the initial response of humility of heart and of, 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 of saving faith and baptism. We move forward and say, I'm going to now devote myself to this. And listen, I, I want to, church, I want to talk to you for a minute. I've been looking for things in this season of our life during the coronavirus and, and what's happened and what, what it's made us do. I've been looking for ways and things that God wants to teach us, right? And I hope you are as well. I hope you're finding those things and seeing those things. We're, we're not only looking for those ways personally, like for me personally, but also in my family, right? And then in my church and in our church, the elders are considering what, what is this time for and what should we be learning from this? And I, and I hope it should also cause us to ask, how should we relate to the community? As an American church, right, as a church living in America, operating in America, uh, we as Americans, as citizens, just citizens in our community, have prioritized things probably a little backwards. Sports have become gods. Academics have become gods. Extracurricular activities and a calendar have become our gods. None of us can operate without a calendar anymore. And now that we have a smartphone, it's even, we're even more strapped down to that technology. We're, we're obligated to reply to text messages and, and instant messages on any social media platform at any, any moment's notice because somehow we owe them that. Somehow we're expected to do that. All the while, we neglect the instruction of the Spirit of God in us all the while we have neglected our families and their spiritual conditions and their spiritual well-being. All the while we have neglected the church, created programs to just appease people and, and entertain instead of actually discipling and being the church. Now, I, I'm not saying we're getting all that wrong or all of you are getting that wrong. There are elements in all of our families where we prioritize correctly. But this should cause us to stop and think. Listen, one day... They're going to make you aware that baseball signups are happening again. One day, soccer is going to resume. One day, football will start again. One day, every extracurricular thing that we were doing will likely come back and be available to us. And I'm not saying those are bad things. But if they become our God and they, be, they run 
our lives and our families, then we have said yes to something that is destructive and not the most important thing. The disciples, the believers, what did they devote themselves to? They were devoted to each other, to devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And they did that in their families as well. I, I hope that the season has been encouraging for you. I hope that as you have discussion here, maybe in a few minutes, that that, that's an important time for your family to come together and look to the Word and and talk and, and, and express and not just, oh, go, we got our Sunday fill and now let's go back to our lives. This was their lives. When Pentecost happened and the Holy Spirit came upon the believers and indwelled the believers, it changed everything. It was the priority. The mission of God was the priority. It's not that we can't have our sons and daughters play on a football team or a basketball team or a baseball team. But we might want to question whether we have them play in two or three sports at the same time. Maybe we need to take a stand at times and tell the coach before we sign up, say, listen, there are some priorities in our families that are more important than 18 practices a week. So on this day and this day, this is what's going on. And if that, if that doesn't fit with the priorities of your schedule, we understand that and we won't play. But we are going to still prioritize First things first. And I, and I know that's hard for you to hear. Like, Brandon, you don't understand. I, well, I do understand. I was also a teenager who played sports and was involved in every extracurricular activity. It was, it was even, uh, to see a glimpse of me at home was, was a rare thing my junior and senior year because I was so busy. And then we say, well, it's just for a season. It's just baseball season coupled with this season and this season. It, it'll, once these three months are over, we'll go back to normal. Do you? Do you go back to normal? Do you go back to putting first things first? And should we have even taken first things off the shelf for a season and said, it can sit down here? Just make sure first things are first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then all these things will be added unto you as well. And, and by the way, I, I love sports. I love extracurricular activities. I love places in, that we can go and share our faith and be in the community and be in life together with people, believers or unbelievers. How else are we going to get the message out there? But what is the priority of our heart? And we might say, well, the priority is, in my family, my priority is the spiritual well-being of each individual, the spiritual well-being of our family together as a unit, right? And that means attending, uh, being involved with a gathering of believers, uh, being involved in discipleship and Bible study. Well, yeah, then, then yes, it's, it's time with, uh, uh, with school. We've got to study and make sure our kids get good grades in school. And then maybe, maybe sports or something else. And you can put these on a list and you say, well, what's the priority? And you, you say, these are the priorities. And then you look at your actual practice of those things and see what order you actually put those in. Maybe look at your checkbook and say, or your bank statement and say, what, what are we actually giving to and spending on? I'm just giving you permission. I don't want to judge. I want to give you permission to reprioritize your own individual relationship with God and your families. It's an awesome time right now in our, in our life, in our history, in our season to do that. So let's look at this. We're going to respond to humility to the Spirit. I want to look at this response a little more. There's, there's an initial response that should happen in its faith, but I want to read a passage out of John chapter 16, starting in verse 8 and going through 11. Jesus says, when He comes, it's the Holy Spirit, He will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment about sin because they do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father and you will no longer see me, and about judgment because the, uh, the ruler of this world has been 
judged. Now, there's a lot of commentaries out on this passage, a lot of things to think about, but I want to I bring up the first part of this, and, and it's really a, a full picture. Uh, when He comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict. Uh, this word convict, it, it means convict, but it means it's deeper than make you feel bad, right? The Holy Spirit's job is not just to come in and make you feel bad, although He does do that, right? The, the, the Spirit stirs in our hearts and, and reminds us of what is right and wrong. God has set that, that in, our, in our hearts, but when the, when the Spirit comes, He will convict. What it means is this, that the Spirit's job is to make sure every person knows that they are sinners and are guilty before God. Not just to feel bad. That you are sinners and you are guilty before God. You have, the judgment has already come down. The penalty is clear. You and I deserve death. And that's what the Spirit is going to do. Now, what was cool, and I mentioned this earlier, not only does the Spirit do that just because He's the Spirit and the power of God, He does that to the human heart, but He has done that. I mentioned earlier with the apostles, right? The apostles who now have the Holy Spirit were inspired to write the New Testament. And what is God's Word if not deep truth and conviction about our status and our relationship with Jesus? It shows it every time. Why do we preach the Word? In order to convict, to let the Holy Spirit convict the world of sin. It goes on, it says, convict them uh, in regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. Well, in righteousness, understanding, once we understand that we are convicted and we are held accountable to our own sin, we now need to understand that there's a righteousness we can never achieve, and it only comes through faith in Christ Jesus. It only comes through Him. Uh, And it says about righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me. What he's saying is, I'm the only one righteous. As I go to the Father, it's, it's just showing off the fact that I am the only one righteous and able to actually go to the Father because I have righteousness. And now you and I need that righteousness. If we want to follow, we need Christ's righteousness. Then he says about judgment because the ruler of this world has already been judged. People can go and do their own thing and, and try to find their own way, but it ends in judgment. And, and the way they're going and who they're following has already also been judged. And although he bruised God's son's heel, Christ crushed him and defeated him once and for all. So this, this Satan who is tempting and drawing us astray has already been judged and has lost. It's a losing battle he's facing. Why would we listen to him? So we want to listen to the power of the Holy Spirit. And we want to respond to him in faith. So as the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, and maybe you're here like, this is too much. I don't want to keep hearing about sin. You must. You must keep hearing about sin. But because you must keep hearing about what Jesus did to pay for that sin so that you can believe, trust Christ as Savior, and be saved from your sin. Respond in humility to the message, to the testimony of the Spirit about Jesus Christ, to the message that you are sinful and that He is convicting you of that. Respond to the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith. Trust Him and trust Him alone. Then we respond by sharing the gospel. If, if that's the word convict and the con- convict comes from what is going to be presented in the law or in the Word of God, then you and I ought to be sharing the Word of God. It was charged to elders, right? To shepherds of a church in Titus 1.9. He said those who are elders should hold on to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able to both encourage with sound doctrine or teaching and to refute, that's that word, the same word, refute or convict, to refute those who contradict it. 
We ought to know the Word of God inside and out. And not only should your elders and leaders be doing that and, and showing and charging people with the Word of God, we all should be sharing the Word of God. We respond in humility to the Spirit by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. How else do we respond? There's a couple last couple things to close. We respond in humility by living by the Spirit of God. By humbling ourselves, like my grandma waking up in the morning saying, God, whatever you want, I'm ready. Today's your day, Lord. You, you got me up. Let's, let's go. Galatians, Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. This is what happens when we live by the Spirit. He produces a fruit inside of us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus, here's the deal. Those who have belonged to Christ Jesus have crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. There's this, this idea of I wanna, I'm going to live by Christ. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I belong to Christ. And I'm going I'm to crucify my flesh. I'm going to crucify my passions and desires. I want to get over myself, get, get rid of those priorities and put the priorities and the affections of my heart towards Jesus only and always. And then he will produce this fruit in me as we keep in step with his spirit. And then as he produces a fruit, we also see that uh, by the power of the spirit, he gives us each gifts to use to build up the body of Christ and to share the gospel with the world. We respond by using those gifts. And we respond by becoming more like Jesus. The, the last passage today is in the book of Ephesians. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. From him, that is Jesus, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Now, that's just the, this is about spiritual gifts. Now, there's a lot of stuff we could talk about and cover of spiritual gifts. I'd encourage you to go study that on your own. But God has given us gifts by the power of the Holy Spirit in order to serve and love one another and to build up His church and, and that each of, in, the, in the each individual part. Then He goes on. So, a, so here's the gifts. We're here to support and encourage and use those gifts for the body of Christ. And then it says, Therefore, Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now stop there, right? We have this, this gifting of the Holy Spirit that we should use in love for our brothers and sisters and for, and for the world, and that we are going to be build, building the, that body up. If we're going to do that, if we're going to prioritize that, he goes on to say, Paul says, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity uh, for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. This, this is where the lust of the flesh goes. When I, when I desire to prioritize my own feelings, my own thoughts, my own preferences above God's, I'm not keeping in step with the Spirit anymore. I'm not using the Spirit, uh, the power of the Spirit to use gifts for the edification of the, of the body of Christ. I'm using, using whatever I have to edify my own body and my own passions. Verse 20, But that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about Him and were taught by Him as the truth in, is in Jesus, to take off 
your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirits of your mind and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity and truth. You see, when we humbly come to Jesus, when we humbly come to faith in Christ, we are humbly going to respond in, in that, with that humility to the Spirit of God. And what that means is that you and I are, are going to desire and endeavor every day to take off the old self and set it aside, throw it away, crucify it, and we are to put on the new self. This, this new self that's growing into maturity in Christ. We're growing into God's likeness, becoming more and more like Him in our purity and our life and in the truth of what we share. It's so important. Listen, church, as we, as we sing these songs today, as we have proclaimed that I want to shout to the north and I want to I let everyone know about the, the amazing majesty of who Jesus is, I want to make sure that happens. It's only by the power of the Spirit that we can really do that. It's not with your own words. Listen, you aren't equipped enough. You aren't strong enough. You aren't eloquent enough. You aren't good enough. Without the Holy Spirit, you are not. But guess who's going to show up? Guess who's right there ready to empower us to live that way, to share our faith when we decide to put off our, new, our old self and put on the new self? The Holy Spirit comes in and says, let's go. And we're just on, along for the ride, being obedient and faithful every step of the way to share the gospel anytime we can. Because again, God doesn't get the address wrong. Listen, when we find the life in the resurrection, we are truly new. He makes all things new. And by the power of His Spirit, we are going to see that as, as in our own personal lives individually, and we'll see what He does through us individually and as the body of Christ. I really do believe that this, this Pentecost today, as we celebrate the church's birthday, that this is a new season. We're turning a corner to a new season where we will be the hands and feet that Jesus intended us to be, relying all the while on the power of the Holy Spirit. I love you guys. We're going to pray in a moment, and, and then you have some discussion questions on your screen, and you, I, I, I encourage you to go through those and, and maybe bring, get, find some questions or make some questions up on your own and ask some questions there. Uh, then we're going, to, we're going to have a worship song available as well, and, and, uh, and then we'll have Children's Church to follow, so if you're waiting for that, that'll be coming up as well. I, listen, I'm really looking forward to coming together next week. I'm really looking forward to being able to see your faces uh, in, these, in these pews once again and, and be in unity at least. And, and listen, I know we're going to want to just jump all the way in, but again, we're putting our toes in. We're, we're doing the most loving thing we can for, for our brethren, our brothers and sisters, and for our community to be good witnesses to them as well. Let's just put our toe in next week. And let's continue to, to love Jesus and love each other the best we know how. Let me pray for us and we'll close. Father, thank you so much for your grace. <clears throat> I thank you so much that, God, you are a living God, that you, you did not stay dead, but, God, you are alive. And, and, God, your spirit is living and active. And, God, for those who have put their faith and trust in you and have gone to you uh, for forgiveness and for salvation, you have also given them your Holy Spirit. God, help us to yield to that Holy Spirit. Help us to continue to throw off our old self and to put on the new self that's being renewed by that Spirit. God, help us to go in the power of the Holy Spirit to the uttermost parts of the world and share the good news of Jesus Christ. And God, for some of us, that obedience means today with a family member. For some of us, that means today with a neighbor. For some of us, it means today with a coworker. God, I pray that you would help us start right here in our Jerusalem. And God, we would continue to reach out with the message 
of the good news and the hope of Jesus Christ. And we would do that by the power of the Holy Spirit, joyfully expectant for what he's going to accomplish in and through us. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.